1: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie
6: Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
2: Good morning. Welcome to the show. We're going to have part two of uh, my one on one conversations with all of the candidates for the Flint City Council election in November. Today features the uh, candidates from the fourth, fifth, and sixth awards. However, uh, fourth Ward incumbent uh, Kate Fields, who was uh, censured this week by the Flint City Council, has canceled her uh, scheduled appearance to start out today's show. And in place of that, I am um, inserting a, uh, an excerpt from Kate's interview during the primary about her reelection campaign so that we can. Uh, um, Continue with the goal of having all of the candidates on the show. Here. Today, we're going to focus on the fourth ward, but we start out this first hour with the incumbent who's running for re election to represent the fourth ward on the Flint City Council, the current council person, Kate Fields. She joins me by phone. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Good morning. Um, you know, I ask. There's there are some newbies that are running for city council this year. There are a couple of uh, open seats, three maybe I think, and um, and I I always ask them this question, but I think it's maybe kind of appropriate for people running for re-election as well. The Flint City Council has kind of a bad reputation for infighting and meetings that go into the wee hours of the morning and and still not getting the things done that they got together to do. Um, Why would you want to run for
6: re-election? Well, for the same reason (laughs) I ran the first time, (laughs) is basically, you know, I want to try to help the city uh, improve and be a good place for everybody enjoys living, and I think that I have some skills, experience, and background uh, to bring to the table that might help achieve that.
2: Aside from incumbency, Kate, what what are some of those things you bring to the table for people who maybe don't know you?
6: Well, my basic background um, academically is I have both a bachelor's and a master's in public administration which is basically the, the management of government. And um, there are many skills that I have that I'd like to use that I've not been able to use. So I'm hoping that with these elections, we might get enough new seats of people who are more interested in moving us forward than in instructing obstructing. So, um, I also have a lot of experience running a um, a nonprofit that was involved in community development. I was at U of M in the master's program for public administration for about fifteen years. So, in addition to being on council for the past six years, which uh, is an experience in and of itself. <laughs> I I would think. Um, you know, I mentioned lengthy
2: meetings that seem to get nothing done, and I know I've talked to some people from the state legislature, and when they go through very contentious periods, I always call them out about how divisive it is, and and not just in Lansing or Flint, but, you know, in Washington as well. And and I'm always surprised when uh, representatives will tell me, yeah, that's what you see in the media. But there are a lot of things we get done every day, almost unanimously, that people don't see. Is that the case with the Flint City Council, or is what we see what we get?
6: Uh, unfortunately, I think what, what you see is what you get pretty much here for the past uh, year or two. Uh, It seems like certain members of council have banded up with an agenda, and I don't know why they have this agenda, but it seems to be one of obstruction and preventing things going forward. I'll give you an example. So we have committees, right, and different things are brought to. We have four committees, uh, well, five actually, but we have finance, government operations, um, grants, and uh, legislative. So in legislative is where we bring forward ordinances, right? New or... Sure. We have had... Kate, I lost you there. Can you hear me now?
2: I can hear you now.
6: We have a couple of ordinances, as an example, that have been forward that the public speak, they talk about, turn the... Ordinances is about drag racing, record. and unfortunately, across the city, I don't people have, have COVID brain, or they're trying to amuse themselves or what, but they're drag racing, doing once in intersections or across the city, and people are really concerned about it. So. <clears throat>
2: Kate, you're breaking up quite right a bit.
6: Henry? Yeah? Yeah. get off speaker? It probably should. Okay, off speaker and I'll hold it up to my ear. Is that better?
2: That's much better. That's much better. Okay. You were cutting in and out, and I, I, I don't want to miss anything.
6: Okay. Well, okay, so the police chief worked with Legal to put together an ordinance to, about drag racing and reckless speeding. And it was basically with more punitive um, clauses in there that said that your, your vehicle, your trailer, your equipment, whatever's involved will be forfeit if you get um, caught doing this. And council has put this back to committee for about two months now. Two, three months? I don't know. It's been a long time. And they don't put it back to committee to work on it, to offer any changes. They put it back there to stall it, which I don't understand because the residents are clearly telling us this is a major concern. It's a safety issue. So, you know, I don't really understand what some council members agendas are um, because you would think that when the public is clearly telling you there's a problem and the Police Chief is trying to offer a solution. Some council members install the ordinance so i don 't know you explain that to me what 's the agenda but that, there
2: but that seems like it should be a straight up and down vote and for people who don 't understand, typically in government or nonprofit organizations the the committee structure is where all the argument is supposed to take place that 's where all the work gets done. wording gets changed. Things get added, things get taken out, and then it's supposed to go to the full council for an up or down vote. And correct. And and so I I wasn't aware that once it got to council, um, yeah, you know, I understand stalling, but I didn't. I, I guess I didn't realize, Kate, that sending it back to committee was one of the ways to put off the vote.
6: Well, it, it's a technique, and I think it's, you know, everything from state to federal level is just kind of a, a technique that uh, legislators might use to not deal with something. Now, the claims are to, uh, oh, to talk about it more or improve it or something, but they never actually do that. You know, they just stall it. And so, not simply uh, and, table it.
5: You know, just
7: well, put off
2: voting on it indefinitely or for some period of time that would allow
6: it to, to fail on its own. I, I guess, Tom, because it looks like you're, you're trying to deal with it if you postpone it back to committee. Okay. But when you get to committee, and by the way, our committee meetings, it, you know, first we have finance, then we have government ops, then legislative, and then grants. Well, by the time we get through finance and government ops, it's usually around midnight. Okay, so we never actually really get to do a lot of work in legislative committee. And then you're right, when it gets to the full council, we should have pretty much discussed it and be able to vote on it. But there are some members that it doesn't matter what kind of meeting you have, okay, I think the purpose in their mind for the meeting is so they can talk. There, there are a couple members that just have an insatiable need to hear themselves talk. So why do we have meetings till 12, uh, 1, 2, even 3 o'clock? It's because some members like to hear themselves talk.
2: And it seems looking in from the outside that a lot of that talk is more form than substance.
6: I think if you looked at what is actually said, very little is actually said about the issues. A lot is said about past grudges and how wonderful they think they themselves are and god knows what all this talk is about but very little is literally about the issues
2: the um... the budget that's in place now um, or or that was just recently passed and that was a bit of a challenge to get that passed what was what was the
6: holdup on on the budget? Was it the federal the whole, dollars? Yes, it was the federal dollars. The uh, I'm going to call it ARP. Okay, the acronym American is it Rescue or American Recovery Recover, Plan?
2: Yeah, Recovery Plan.
6: Okay, yeah. so ARP. Um, because this ARP money was due to come in, some council members, um, led by Eric Mays, thought that they were going to use this opportunity. To determine how this money was spent by making uh, motions or resolutions to include it in the budget. But according to the charter, okay, council only has the authority to amend a budget that is proposed to them by the mayor. The mayor had not included this money in the proposed budget because a lot of it was very uncertain at the time. And when I say uncertain, not only the amount, but when we were going to get the funding, but more importantly, the guidelines about how this money can be used. And it very specifically has to be related to COVID and the effects of COVID and how, you know, COVID affected your um, municipality, for example. And, the attempt by Mr. Mays was to, for example, we're just going to put uh, 3 to $5 million in the police department. Not, this is what the resolution would say. Not stating how specifically, just some generic. And we didn't even know what the rules were. How could we spend this money? You know, maybe we could spend it for crime. Maybe we could spend it for more police. Maybe not. We really didn't know, so wiser heads prevailed and all of Mr. Mays's amendments, and I say Mr. Mays because he was the leader in this, um, did not succeed. And it's a good thing, because what would be the point of amending a budget, including revenue that the mayor had not proposed by charter, which would have been illegal anyway, because uh, council did not have that authority to include revenue that was not included.
2: Kate, uh, I, I have yes. to—I have to put a comment here because I have to go to break. But I want to talk. Sure. I, I want to finish this, and I want to talk trash too.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Hello, out there, everybody, it's me, Tigger. ti double uh that spells Tigger, and don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sufferer's program
1: on account of because he's
5: so bouncy. <laughs>
7: where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildy, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
2: We're currently talking with the incumbent who currently holds that seat, Kate Fields, and she joins me by phone. Um, Kate, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that.
6: Oh, happy to do so. In fact, it was good. You gave me an opportunity to take a deep breath because I get so passionate about things (laughs) because I I spend so much time and energy trying to problem solve, and uh, sometimes I have to just take a deep breath and... Move on. Well, just before the
2: break, we were talking about how the uh, how the budget process got derailed by the um, uh, by efforts of Eric Mays and others to make the federal relief funds the the COVID nineteen relief funds from the federal government part of the budget process, which. They didn't necessarily need to be, and the idea was that they would be able to decide how to get to spend that money. making it part of the budget doesn't give them any more power to figure out how to spend that money wouldn't wouldn't that be the case when it it came up to uh, accept the money and and decide what to do with it?
6: Absolutely, in fact, there were so many things that were uh proposed by Mr. Mays, like the Mays Institute. You know, I don't know, $400,000 for that. It was like, what? What is that supposed to be? I don't think that's an allowable or eligible thing under uh, the ARP funds. But anyway, it's, you know, we just need to move on. We were successful in uh, just passing the budget uh, pretty much as the mayor proposed it. And he tweaked it a bit. He did listen to council in some things they wanted to have funded, Um and we're past that now. So we're moving on. Well, and, and part of
2: moving on, there was, there was also uh, a hold up on uh, it. And, and correct me if I characterize this incorrectly. Um, the contract with Republic for collecting the garbage in the city of Flint ran out. And negotiation to. Um, extend or or begin a new contract um, got held up the deadline went by and and then ultimately it was decided to um, create a 90-day agreement to then decide you know to to get more time to consider going forward how the contract would read and at least one candidate for city council has said that that being characterized as an extension of the previous contract wasn't really legal, that um, the the contract didn't allow for extension, that there had to be a new contract this time around. Um, do I have that right? And also, I, I was sort of getting the impression that Republic doesn't want the gig now. And who should be
6: collecting Flint's garbage. Well, you asked me several questions here. I want to go back to. I wanted to give okay. you something
2: to work with. Kate. Yeah.
6: Okay. <laughs> First of all, what what people need to understand it isn't that the administration wasn't taking care of business and hadn't put out a bid earlier, so we wouldn't have this gap time and a need for a a ninety day contract extension. What happened was they had bid this out. The bids were opened. I don't know February or March but the person who was in charge of opening bids at the time didn't ensure that we had a public bid opening. Now, that is absolutely paramount in all of our rules and and regulations, you know, from local up to federal. It has to be public. So once our new CFO, Shelby Frayer, who's dynamite, by the way, discovered that, she went to legal And after discussion, it was decided they had to rebid it. So they started the process again. And it takes a long time to put together a request for proposal RFP and then to bid it out, give people time to respond, and then have another bid opening, which we had uh, July 12th. So since the garbage contract was ending June 30th, they had to come up with a way to ensure that the public had, you know, that we had garbage pickup. Because can you imagine the pandemonium? I mean, we already have such problems with blight. And then can you imagine if we didn't have garbage pickup for a month or whatever it would take? So, um. Well, even a was, couple of
2: weeks, Kate, in the, in the, uh, uh. high heat we've been having.
6: Absolutely. It would be a real danger to public health and safety. I mean, that's clear. And I don't know how you can argue against that. And, um. So they negotiated with Republic, who was already, you know, they already have the routes, the drivers, the whatever, or at least they were trying to get drivers. So the, the bone of contention really was that they wa- Republic wanted to charge an extra $290,000 as a fee for being able to do a 90-day extension, and they insisted on 90 days, not 30, because there is a nationwide labor shortage of drivers with CDL licenses that can drive these garbage trucks. So what they had to do to recruit was they had to offer 90-day contracts, and they literally were recruiting all over the United States. 90-day contracts, pay them a bonus, uh, pay their travel and housing to get them here to make sure they had adequate coverage because they'd already been having difficulty getting drivers with this license uh, and especially getting drivers in Flint because Flint residents apparently have lost their minds and were taking, like, machine guns and guns out, threatening drivers. So... Um, so anyway, there were council people that were objecting to that, and they quite falsely, I believe, started characterizing Republic as having provided uh, n- not-so-good service for the four years that they were under contract, which is not true, okay? In my opinion, is absolutely not true. It's just when the pandemic hit and they started having problems, um, you know, getting employees, etc. So anyway, this extension... Uh, Monica Gal made a motion to make it a thirty-day contract, and unfortunately, council went along with that. Well, Republic had already said they were not going to do less than a ninety-day contract. It just wasn't economically feasible for them to do that, and I thought their reasons were very sound, and and they presented these reasons very clearly. So finally it went back to council and we did pass the 90-day extension while we are waiting for the new bids to be evaluated in um, a proposal presented to council. So that's what we're waiting on now. And I've been told I haven't seen the bids. I've not been involved in it whatsoever. But I've been told that Republic did not bid this time.
2: At least a couple of uh Candidates for city council, not necessarily in the fourth ward, but um, that I've talked to are interested in exploring the possibility of the city taking that function in-house again. Um, is is that viable? Uh, probably not short-term, Kate, but, but long-term? Is that, is that something that maybe could or should be done
5: long-term?
6: Well, I, I don't know, you know, and you, you have to think of history. What is one of our major financial problems? It's our legacy costs, the retirement costs. True. And, and we are really struggling to meet our obligations, which is our number one obligation. We have to meet those beyond anything else. I mean, before you pay for anything else, you have to meet those legacy costs, obligations. Well, what would the addition of 50 more employees, I'm just guessing at the number, that it would take to pick up city um, waste collection. I-, I think it would be huge. But one thing I agree with is it wouldn't hurt someone could do a study and look at comparative, you know, feasibility cost. What would be the elements? You know, you'd have labor, you'd have equipment. You you know, what would that cost us and where would we find the money? Because if you'll recall, back when Don Williamson was mayor, he bought all these new garbage trucks, which subsequently, I believe, the EFMs um, got rid of. Um, And where did he find the money? He illegally took it out of the sewer and water funds, which is illegal. That's actually prohibited in our charter. But uh, that's what they did, and that's one reason why our sewer and water funds Uh, had been so shaky because that was a practice on past administrations, which Sheldon Neely put a stop to. So more power to him for doing that. So is it viable? I don't know. Maybe we should do a study and cost compare. What about
2: the the chief's idea of... uh doing a trial run on having a city helicopter. Is is that is this the right time to try something like that?
6: Well, you know, I, I'm aware of pros and cons and and things expressed by the public, but at the same time, in um, Councilman Guerrera actually, you know, who's he's a deputy with the Sheriff's Department, he pointed out how a helicopter could be used for example you know the problems they were having at club sunoco at various spots uh, like a helicopter if there were you know there's a fight or something going on if they had a helicopter and all of a sudden big spotlights are down on those people they probably disperse if you have people drag racing or doing donuts a helicopter shows up and is spotlighting you people probably would think twice about doing that so I think the chief is trying to be innovative and trying to find ways to address the crime problem, which everyone, including him, agrees we have to find a way to reduce crime. So I give him credit for being innovative, and it was on a three-month trial basis, and I actually would like to see on a trial basis how effective and if, if that technique actually made a difference. We can't just keep complaining about it. We have to try to do something about it. We
2: just have a couple minutes left, Kate, and I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future, and and find out about your campaign, get involved if they're interested, all of that kind of stuff. Is is there a, a good way for people to reach out to you?
6: Well, they can use my cell phone. I don't even use a city cell phone. I just use my personal cell, which is 810-908-0366. And uh, I do have a Facebook page, but I kind of like don't really do much on it. I'm really not, you know. I'm older. I'm not as social media obsessed as a lot of (laughs) younger people are. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I'm I'm a little clumsy with uh, technology too. It's great when it works, but uh, um, is is there a um, a, a way to? Well, I reach
6: just don't have time time to do social media. <laughs> I'm too busy working.
2: Well, I I appreciate you spending time with me this morning, Kate, and uh, and I wish you all the best. Keep up the good work.
6: Thank you. I do my best. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. Bye-bye.
5: This ice is melting.
3: armchair politics is going to hell hell michigan
2: that is and you are invited on october 27th wednesday before halloween armchair politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m to noon from the hell saloon in hell michigan near pinkney This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27th, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too. Welcome back. We uh, continue with our one-on-one conversations with candidates for the Flint City Council. And my next guest is uh, the challenger in the fourth ward for a seat on the Flint City Council. That election election being held in uh, November, early November, I think the second. And mm-hmm. uh, Judy Priestley is her name. She joins me by phone. Hi, Judy. Welcome back to the show.
0: Well, thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate you asking me.
2: Um now it's getting serious, you know, we're past the primary and uh early voting will start, I imagine soon if it hasn't already. Um the uh general election is uh, coming up. It's just uh just barely over a month away. And um sure. Yeah, and and so what does that mean for you? Are are, are you feeling the uh the crunch of campaigning? What <laughs>
0: Well, I'm starting to, yes. It's, I've got a lot of houses to knock on um, the doors. And um, between now and the beginning of November, and, yeah, and it's getting dark so early now, you know, it's hard to find the time to go and get to all the houses. April August was great because I could be out until 8, 8.30. Right, right, exactly. Well, Judy,
2: this is kind of an interesting um, campaign cycle. This this one coming up in November for the Flint City Council. There are three of the nine wards where there is no incumbent, either um, as in the the second ward with uh, Maurice Davis, he didn't make it through the primary, and uh, right. in in two wards the uh, incumbent decided not to run for reelection. I think it was. Uh, Herb Winfrey in the 6th, and uh, Santino Guerra in the 3rd. So there are right. three uh, seats that are going to have new um, new council members. And as unusual it is as it is to have a write-in candidate in any election, over the nine wards there's like five write-in candidates. Why do you think that... Uh, there's there's this kind of activity.
0: Well, I think that people are frustrated. They're frustrated in um, people who are willing to run. Um, they're frustrated in the council effect council ineffectiveness and in what they're doing. Um, and I just. I know that, like, if you're young, like Santino um, is, that he he probably has other things to do in his life. Maybe he wants to move. I don't know anything about him, you know, and I can understand you're, that you're young. Um, and it is a big-time commitment, and sometimes you just go, it's not worth it. And I get that. And on the people who do, are doing the right end candidates, I don't know how many of those took out petitions and didn't get enough valid signatures or not, um,
2: in S- which case. Some for sure, and, and some are complaining that, uh, you know, that, that um, they, they challenged the decision that, that their signatures weren't valid or that they didn't have enough valid signatures.
0: Yeah, I, I heard that as well. I heard that as well. And I, I can just say that it was clearly commit com, um, com, My brain just wanna communicated to myself of what was a valid signature. So when I went on a door knock door, I says, "Hello, my name is Judy Priest. I'm looking for people who are willing to sign my nominating position petition. Are you a registered voter in this area, in this ward? And if they aren't, thank you very much." I, and go on to the next house.
2: Did you end up with (laughs) signatures that got knocked off?
0: I don't know, but I'll tell you, I only um, got 85 signatures, and I knew right away that three were invalid. So, I don't think I lost any outside of those. But I did not challenge. I didn't question. I never sent in a request, but I couldn't have lost many.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you got through the qualification. Why why complain if what you did got you there but right but let's let's move on to some of the uh some of the issues that are happening recently in uh, city council meetings they've been talking about the uh trash contract which uh starts october 1st literally uh, uh-huh. tomorrow and um and there's been a challenge to that and and then there's been uh, some initiatives brought to the the council about uh, some convenience stores where, where kids are hanging out. I'm thinking about Cheers Market and Club Sunoco and, and there are probably others as well. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it just seems like there isn't any shortage of stuff to do but yet it seems like the council doesn't really seem to know what they're going to do about these things. Is that how you see it, and and how would it be different if if you were there?
0: Um, With some of these things, it's a difficult issue. Um, And and I don't know, like the kids hanging out, you know, there are ready ordinances on the books about curfews. How are you going to enforce a curfew is my question. You know, I mean, I have a niece who sent her kid out at one o'clock in the morning. Told her to go play. Told her to go play. He was thirteen years old. How are you going to enforce that if a parent allows that to happen? Um, so, I guess that that's a, that's a social issue type of thing. And can what can a council do with social issues? You can't necessarily legislate social issues to go away. It's how do we sit there and say, do we send a police officer there, break them up and send them back? Where is that police officer going to come from?
2: Well, that's the question is where is that police officer going to come from? Uh, there are any number of options they could take it the parents, they you know, and, and put fines on. I mean, there are things you can do if you want to curb behavior, but you got to have the people to do it.
0: Exactly, and it all comes down to money.
2: More with Fourth Ward Challenger City Council candidate Judy Priestley straight ahead.
3: Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program.
4: While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses.
3: A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. W.H.
2: Carver a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiscarper, a former National Security Advisor and Counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book Twilight of Empire shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Wise Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner Program, visit whwisecarver.com. The Tom Sumner
0: Program.com.
5: Hey,
3: this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom
7: Sumner program.
2: More with Fourth Ward challenger City Council candidate Judy Priestley. Straight ahead. Do you think Flint has the resources it needs to? Absolutely not. <laughs> well, yeah, for, to to meet the needs of the of the uh, constituents, and and doesn't it? Doesn't that mean that the council and, and the city administration are rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic?
0: Sounds like it, doesn't it, kind of. Um, you know, it's we lost 20,000 people over the last 10 years. Along with the, that loss, we have increased crime. We're going to reach a record murder rate in the city. Um, this $300,000 helicopter isn't even going to be off the ground until the spring. The last I heard, um, could we have used some of that money to put boots on the ground? You know, um, I understand that they want an eye in the sky, but that's fine. But do we need boots on the ground before we put an eye in the sky?
2: Well, yeah, I mean that that's that's a good question, Judy, because you know, you you have a helicopter flying around and it can report that there's a, a gang assembled here or there's a fight here or you know, there's a, there's a speeding car that's driving recklessly. They can they can report all those things, but if you don't have anybody to respond, exactly. And I wonder the same thing about some of the other smart policing things, uh, cameras and, you know, shot spotter uh, technology that, that re- you know, listens to and reports when shots are fired. Um, literally microphones around the community to pick those things up. Um, you can use those things, but if you don't have anybody to respond, it, it, it right. seems like you're... Uh, rearranging deck chairs on the titanic but how do we how do we deal with that how do we address that 50 miles away in lansing they have roughly the same population and twice as many police officers Um, do you think we'll ever get to a point where we can afford to right-size the community in terms of You know, cutting back because of the size of of the population in terms of infrastructure, but growing the police department to, to be in line with the number of people we have.
0: Well, how do we get the money to fund that type of thing? You have to get investment into the city. It's like a vicious circle we're in. I was going to say,
2: isn't that kind of a chicken-and-the-egg thing? Um, you know, we can't attract business if we can't clean up the city, and we can't clean up the city if we don't build up the tax base, which means we've got to draw in business.
0: Right. And, and some of the questions I had is I'd heard about a, um, a storage facility wanting to go in on Richfield Road. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but probably right where the old Ben Franklin, I think it was a Ben Franklin. My gosh, it's been closed for so many years. I remember it being there when my grandmother was alive 40, 50 years ago. But um, I believe it was right in that area that they wanted to put a storage unit in and the city denied it. So we lost property tax revenue because who's paying the property tax on those abandoned buildings? You know? Maybe it would be $1,000. Okay, that's $1,000 that you can, it's got to be more than that. But that builds. And maybe there was going to be two or three employees there on location. Maybe not, but I'm saying maybe. And so we lost that income tax on those employees' wages because it's in the city, so they would have to pay a minimum of half percent of their wages to the city. So let's say we, that's one example, and how much money did we lose over a year? Okay, maybe the total amount might fund a quarter of a policeman, but that's a quarter of a policeman we didn't have before. And if you keep adding that up, and get these people in and not turn away their businesses, we can get, start adding to our police force, and that will reduce, that'll help reduce crime.
2: What do you think the priorities should be for the city council, knowing that it's dealing with limited dollars? What are the things that we absolutely need to provide? Is it is it public safety? Is it is it trash collection?
0: Well, I, with the trash collection, I, we have a fee. We're not taxed on that. And we obviously have to have some cities and some townships, each individual um, home. Pays and contracts for their own trash contract or pickup, which is what we are basically doing with our fee to the city. And so I think that looking at the places around town, especially in my, in my ward, um, um, over by Franklin and, um, south of Davison Road, that's a terrible place. So if we don't, if we charge a fee, have, have individuals contract directly with, with somebody to pick up their, con, their, um, their trash, it's even going to get worse. So I think that we need to provide the trash service. We also need to provide safety. That includes fire and police. So those are the big thing. And then, of course, we, ha- we, we have to provide water.
2: You know, with um, a, a spot on the city council, some of it is about constituent services, but most of it's about budget. Um, mm-hmm. What about this this wrangling that goes back between the council and and the mayor, who has to, you know, present a budget and and then uh, implement that budget once it's been signed off on by the council. Um, What can or should the council be doing? Do you you think we have um, the expertise we need to really properly manage the city's budget?
0: Not right now, no. No. Now, you know, um, one of the things that they have to be aware of is how costs are calculated for each department? Um, What goes into that dollar amount? Are you asking for more money because if you didn't use up everything that you you waste, you got, you used up everything that you had the year before because if you don't use it, you won't get it again. So do you really need that money? Or are you just asking for more? You know, and, and I don't know that they understand that that is part of the thought of budgeting process is we've got to use what we get or else we can't get more. And, um, I don't think that having developed budgets for several different companies I've worked for over the years, it's a complicated process. You have to take into effect all your overhead and and um your utility that's your overhead excuse me your benefits and your employees and every pen paper piece of paper every pen
2: judy what do you do first if you're elected in november what's
0: what's your first thing my first thing would be to i think it's important that the council gets along so reach out to the council members to know them, try to build a, a, I'm not going to say a coalition necessarily, but a relationship with people so that you can work together. Hey, my name's Judy. I want to work with you. Um, You know, maybe I don't always agree with you on something, but maybe we can come to a compromise. And so let's go into that with that thought in mind that I can't have it all my way. So I'm willing to compromise with you from where I stand in order to build that relationship. I think that's an important thing because you look at it and there's no, you know, they talk about, oh, this person always votes with this person, this person votes with everybody and these people hate this person and this is how this person reacted to this person and it's like one against each other instead of working together. And so I think that's the big thing. Get the council working together. The second thing is obviously to look at the finances and where we are and try to get, if we can get some money somewhere for the police department. I don't want to rely on grants for for police funding, and I know we do have that. I don't want to rely on grants for fire. Um, Grants can be used for other services, but not necessarily for fire for public safety, I think those should be paid for by the city without having to rely on the possibility of losing grant funding.
2: Judy, how can people find out more about you and and, uh, and about your campaign?
0: Well, I don't have a Facebook page right now that's public, um, but they can reach out to me directly. Um, my phone number is eight one zero eight four five two six six zero.
2: Well, Judy, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with me, and uh, best of luck to you.
0: Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it.
2: All right. Take care.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay.
2: That was Judy Priestley. She is uh, challenging uh, incumbent uh, councilperson Kate Fields in the uh, fourth ward uh, race for uh, Flint City Council that uh, race being decided in November and with that we'll have uh, more of our one on one conversations with Flint City Council candidates here on the Tom Sumner program straight
5: from the Tom Sumner show